Okay, good deal. So we want to kind of continue where we were this morning. So if you want to take your Bibles and... Well, actually, you might as well just turn to John, uh, Matthew 16 first. That's where we're going to jump off. But eventually we're going to go to John 21. Okay? And if you're looking for a sermon title tonight, I would probably tag on um, a man called Peter. Now, remember this morning, I thought I said something that was pretty relevant this morning in the sense that, you know, this morning God used his shotgun. Okay? He used... He was, he was shooting his grace and his love toward uh, you know, the seven disciples that were there uh, that, that morning, okay? So he, he did a shotgun effect. Um, now, I told you tonight he was going to do the rifle. He was going to shoot directly at, at a man called Peter. But not when I say shoot at, not in a bad way, he's aiming his grace and his love and his redemption and his forgiveness. And you'll find that's true. Sometimes God uses a shotgun effect on a group of people in a church which may, may break out in revival. Um, he may uh, shotgun his grace on a church and the church radically changes. But sometimes, you know, he'll shoot directly at a person, okay, and dramatically change that one person, all right? And tonight, as we see at the end of John 21, he now, what he does is he aims directly at Peter, okay? But keep in mind, the story of love that we preached this morning is for all of these people, okay? All these ones. In fact, I told you this morning, the entire Bible is a book of restoration. The entire Bible is a book of redemption. The entire Bible is a book of rescue. It's what the whole theme um, of the Bible is, okay? Now, now there's no doubt, you know, from the get-go, um, God chose Peter for a very special mission. Um, you know, have you ever thought, now this should be encouraging. Peter was not what we would call our best choice. Okay? Peter was impulsive. Um, Peter um, had a tendency to be brash, prideful. Okay? You know, remember when he went to Jesus and said, how many times must I forgive my neighbor? And, you know, implying that he would never need forgiveness personally, but other people he knew might. So how many times would he need to forgive those people? So Peter had a lot of character flaws. Okay, and yet, and yet, God chose him how by grace, by grace, to be a key player um, in the early church. And newsflash, it's true of you. It's true of you. God has great plans for you to be used in kingdom work. It doesn't matter if you have reverend in front of your name or doctor in front of your name. He's not enthralled with titles. Okay, he's enthralled with hearts, with hearts. And as we surrender our heart to him. You know, he has big plans for us, and he certainly had big plans for Peter, okay? And that's what makes John 21 so significant, okay? It's because it was very important that Peter be restored in a special way because of the key player he was going to be in the early church. Now, what I want to do is I want to go back and take a first look at um, this key player idea, this key player concept. And of course, that's Matthew 16. And one thing great about being the pastor, you get to choose the scriptures that you use. And this is just a wonderful story. I love it. These wonderful stories that we have in God's Word. And this is certainly one of them, okay? So in Matthew 16, and you'll know, you'll recognize as soon as I start reading it, but, but, but keep in mind, we're talking about Peter being a key player. What, how, how important was Peter as a key player in the early church? Okay? Well, we see a glimpse of that in Matthew 16. And, you know, Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, you know, who do people say that I am? What is the word on the street about who I am? Okay, and uh, so they started re responding, they being the, the guys, they started responding, well, some say you're John the Baptist, you're a fiery preacher. 
Okay, you, you have fire in your sermons. There's passion and truth in your sermons. Some say you're like John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And Elijah was the miracle-working prophet. You know, we see in your hand things like Elijah would do. Um, stop rain, start rain, you know, uh, defeat thousands of prophets, okay? So we see that kind of miracle working in you. So some people say you're like Elijah. And others say you're like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. You know, we see you. Uh, you seem to have compassion for people. You, you go to people that are broken. And you heal them and you touch them. You're not afraid to reach out and touch a leper. You're not afraid to reach out and touch a harlot, a prostitute, okay? So some people say you're like that. Or perhaps just one of the other prophets, okay? And then Peter asked, or Jesus asked that important question and just threw it out to the crowd, threw it out to the 12, you know, in verse 15 and 16. But you, he said, but you. And by the way, that's so key. You know, Bob, that's just so key. You. You know, it's so easy in church. The sermon's always for the other guy. It's always the other guy needing prayer, you know. God's pointing his finger at us, and, but you, okay? Who do you say that I am? It's personal. It's private, okay? Who, who do you say that Jesus is tonight? Who, if you're standing there and Jesus would have looked at you and said, who do you say that I am, you know, what would have been your response? Would you have had the right response? Well, Simon Peter speaks right up in verse 16 and says, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ, okay, the Son of the living God. Um, you are you are the Christ. You are the, listen, listen, listen. You are the grand fulfillment of the plan of redemption. You're, you're the grand fulfillment of the plan of rescue. You're the grand fulfillment. That's who you are. And, and then again, keep in mind, we're talking about Peter being a key player. And so verse 17, Jesus responded, you know, blessed are you, um, Simon, son of Jonah. Which, by the way, that's the same title he's going to use in John 21. Just coincidentally. Just coincidentally, okay? Uh, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because you did not get this. You know, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Now, here's the deal. Peter, this isn't you. Okay? It's God. It's God. Here's a general reminder. It's never us. It's never us. Okay, in case you get puffy, you know, God, you know, God starts using you in a certain way or something, you get all puffy. It's never you. <laughs> it's just God. It's just God. Whether you're the pastor, the worship leader, a Sunday school teacher, you know, or just someone who, you know, Jeremy, you're, one of your spiritual gifts is greeting people on Sunday morning. You know? It's not you. It's God working in you. Amen? Amen? It's just really, really important. So, so you've not... Gee, Peter, you didn't come up with this all on your own. Okay? But the Father has revealed. So anything and everything we are in kingdom work, or really, I'll go a step further, anything and everything we are in life, okay, is not because we, it's because of Him. Okay? That's, again, whatever your profession is, whatever you do for a living, whatever it is, there's no two-world thing. It's not secular, spiritual. It's all spiritual. Okay? So he says, you know, my father revealed this to you. And this is that misunderstood verse, okay? Um, you know, and I also say to you that you are Peter. And again, you know, once again, I'm going to say this tonight in a moment about the Greek. And I don't know a whole lot of Greek, and please understand that. But, you know, we like to make a big deal of this. You know, you're Peter, and that translates small stone. Okay? You are Peter, you're a small stone. And on this rock, and that's the word Petra, a large unmovable stone. So you are Peter and on this rock. Now our Catholic friends like to come along and say, oh, well, that's, that's that Jesus was going to build the church on Peter. Now wait, stop just a moment. 
Would you really build your church on a guy who just denied you three times? Would you really build your church that when you said to him, you know, I've got to go to Jerusalem and die, and he says, no! I mean, would you really put it on any man? Okay, so regardless of the Greek, it just doesn't make sense to say that God is going to build, Jesus is going to build his church on a mere guy, a mere mortal. Okay? No, no, no. Here's what it, here's what it said. I mean, here's what it says. Okay? You are Peter, and that is a small stone, and you are pet on this on this rock, on this Petra, on this unmovable stone, but the rock is the truth. The rock is the truth. Who? The, what truth? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the rock. We, you know, Jesus was going to build his church on the truth that he was the Messiah, the son of the living God. Okay? It's not a mere mortal. It's a magnificent truth of the gospel that Jesus is the son of God. Now, you need to nail that down into your life. So, so you're Peter on this rock. I'm going to build my church on this truth that I'm the Christ, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not be over, being able to overpower it. Now, what's really significant about that, yeah. what's really significant about that is the fact that, keep in mind, gates are not offensive weapons. They're defensive. Okay? So, so what, what Jesus is saying there, when he says the gates of hell cannot overpower it, he's saying is that, the force of the gospel will be so great that they, the gates of hell cannot stand against it. It's not that you know Satan's picked up the gates of hell and going to try to throw them at us. Okay, it's the power of the gospel is so big and so strong. All right, that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Now, now in verse nineteen he says something, and again I'm going to give you what I think. Okay, tonight I think it's what the word means. You know, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And you say, well, what are the keys to the kingdom of heaven? Okay, the keys to the kingdom of heaven is the gospel. The gospel. The key to heaven is the gospel. Okay, and and the word you there is not singular; it's plural. So he's looking at the guys and going, basically saying this to the church. I'm going to give the mission of spreading the gospel. Okay, I'm going to give you the keys to the king to the kingdom of heaven. All right, I'm giving you the gospel. How do you get into heaven? The key. What's the key? The gospel. The gospel. Okay, and then he goes on and says this: and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose in he- on earth will be loosed in heaven. And that, and at least in some large picture, that's speaking of the power of the gospel. Okay, it's the permanence of the gospel. It's the eternal power of the gospel. That that the, when we speak the gospel here and people are impacted by the gospel, it's it's held in heaven and it's held on earth. It's held, not hell. It's held on heaven and it's held on earth. So he says, guys, I'm giving you the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the keys to the kingdom and it's so powerful. Okay, and of such permanence. That what is, what is bound in heaven is bound on earth and vice versa. Amen? And vice versa. But listen, listen. Just a reminder. We need this tonight. What we do here, Gourmet, what we do here is of eternal significance. It's of eternal significance. Don't, don't lose sight of that. And that's why Satan wants to disrupt the church. That's why Satan likes us when we're distracted. Because when we're distracted, we're not doing eternally significant things. And when we're focused, we are. We are. 
We are. So, so, so here we had this setup then for Peter. What a key player he is. Okay? He was there to declare that Jesus was the Christ. Okay? What a significant player he was. Now, you remember this morning, I said this, what John Maxwell said, you know, leadership is influence plain and simple. Okay? So leadership is influence plain and simple. Now, Peter is going to be a big influencer. Okay? He's going to be a key player. He's going to impact the church, the early church in a huge way. All right, here's the deal. In order for him to be a big influencer, he has to be restored publicly. He's all right. You know, go, when, when Jesus directed, you know, go tell my disciples and Peter. Specifically, go tell Peter. Peter and Jesus are right. They have been, he has been forgiven. But what hasn't happened is there hasn't been a public restoration. And Peter is going to be a public leader. He has to be publicly restored. God cannot have his early church being formed on the suspicion that somehow the leader is flawed. Somehow somehow one of the key players is, you know, he failed. So we, have, we, have a, we don't have a leader, we have a failure leading this movement. Okay? There's no chance that could happen. So Jesus had restored publicly Peter in front of these six guys. And that's what we have taking place. All right? So in verse 15, now we're back in John 21, 15a. Okay? Now keep in mind, what's about to happen is for Peter's sake. And what's for happening is it's also for the other six. Okay? And they're going to tell others, they're going to tell others, they're going to tell others. Okay? You know, somebody comes up and says, Well, you know, I don't think Peter ought to be preaching on Pentecost. Because he denied Jesus three times. And they're going to say, well, now, wait a minute. I need to tell you what Jesus said. <laughs> you know, kind of like, you know, well, wait a minute. Okay? So, so here's the deal. He's going to confirm for everybody that's present that Peter is still his choice. And you need to know that. You got some kind of failure in your past? Mess up? You know? I know pastors, when pastors mess up, we kind of throw them in the dump heap. Okay? But, but it doesn't happen just to pastors. It happens to everybody. You know, we ask that, yeah, well, you're flawed. You know, you got the scarlet letter on your forehead. You, you're, you know what's great is that God can use failures. In fact, his church is filled with them, and so are his pulpits. So are his pulpits. I'm so glad to know that God can use failures. Okay? So, so he's telling the six there, hey, Peter's still my choice. He's my number one guy. It's just the way it is. Okay, so here's how it starts out. So when they'd eaten breakfast, you know, Jesus waits till after they'd had their meal, their time of fellowship. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, okay, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And then he says, and the only time he says it, more than these. Do you love me more than these? So, so he's put, now again, it's, later on they're going to take a stroll because you'll see why. But right now, apparently, they're still sitting, man. They're still sitting together at the fire, you know, and the fish are there. And, you know, they're having breakfast. I had breakfast, you know, they're kind of done, you know. And then so Peter, you know, Jesus looks at Peter and says in front of all the guys, Hey, Peter, do you love me? And then he said, Do you love me more than these? Okay. Now, there's really only two, but I'm going to give you three possibles. Uh, three possibles to answer. Um, question, answer number one, or question number one is, do you love me more than these men love me? Because he says, do you love me more than these? Okay? 
So number one is, hey, Peter, do you love me more than these men love me? Now, the reason that's probably the right answer, okay, is because Peter once said to Jesus, hey, if all these other guys leave you, not me. If all these other guys fail you, not me. He had once boasted that if everybody else failed, he wouldn't. Okay? So it makes logical sense then that this would probably be the number one answer. All right? Do you love me more than these men? There's a time, not probably not now, but there's a time when, when Peter would have said, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I've got I'm, They're going to fail. I'm not going to fail you. Okay? So that's probably a good answer for that one. Now, the second one, we have no proof for, so probably I just throw it in the mix to throw it in the mix. Um, do you love me more than you love these men? Okay, so there's no evidence. They're, they're tight as a family. They're tight as friends. But there's no evidence that they, he, Peter would put his love for them ahead of his love for Jesus. Okay? Now, some groups, that's, like today, okay, that would probably be true. But it wasn't true particularly in this group. And the last one I really like. I'm not sure it's the right answer or right question, but I like it. Okay? I'm given what, remember we talked about this morning, the fish, you know, got the fish there, and Jesus says, bring some of them. He drags his net on the shore. Do you remember that this morning? You know, uh, he had to make a decision between selling fish and making fish, or fishing for fish, or fishing for men. Had to make that choice. Okay, so the third question, do you love me more than these things? Hey, Peter, do you love me more than the boat? Do you love me more than the nets? Do you love me more than the fish? And that's a really valid question. We'll never, know, we'll never know this side of heaven exactly what Jesus meant, but one and three are pretty enticing. One's probably the number one answer, and, and number three is number two. Okay, number three is three. Or number two is three, okay? So, so you know, hey, Peter, do you love me more than these nets? And I really think that this, at least some of the context of, of the Scripture. Well, here's Peter's answer. You know, Peter says, you know, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Okay, now I want to nail something down. No, don't be guilty of accusing, of accusing Peter of not loving Jesus. Okay? In fact, once again, this is what I was going to tell you, that there's been a big deal made about the use of the Greek. Okay? Um, when, when Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? He uses the agape, love. Okay? And when Peter responds, okay, he uses phileo. And agape is a dying sacrificial love. And phileo is a brotherly, my friend kind of love. Okay? Now, a long time ago in my history, I, a lot of preachers preached that, you know, that, that Jesus is saying, do you love me with this dying sacrificial love? And Peter is saying, well, you love me like, I love you like a brother. Okay? And apparently the truth is, in the Greek, these things are used interchangeably all the time. Okay? So the question really is not, Peter, do you love me like I love you? It's simply what it says, space forward. Hey, you know, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. I love you, okay? And here's what he does. Feed my lambs. Now, why is that significant, do you think? Why is that significant? Okay, here's the deal. He gave Peter responsibility. Peter, Jesus believed in Peter. He was helping Peter believe in Peter and he wanted these six guys to believe in Peter in the sense of leadership. So, so he says, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Okay, I've got a job for you, Peter. I've got a responsibility, Peter. Uh, I want you to feed my 
lambs. And again, you're going to feed my lambs, uh, shepherd my flock. They're all used interchangeably. The big picture is, hey, Peter, do you love me? Yes, God, you know, I, Jesus, you know I love you. Great, I got a job for you, feed my sheep. The big deal is, Jesus is telling Peter, I trust you. You're still, you're still in the game, Peter. And someone here tonight here needs to hear that. You need to hear you're still in the game. Because Satan's convinced you you're not in the game because you've got some kind of failure in your past that haunts you and you've got it fixed in your head that God can never use you because you're damaged goods. And you are not. By God's grace, you are not damaged goods. And if Jesus were speaking out loud to you tonight, He'd tell you, do you love me? And you say, Jesus, you know I love you. Then listen, I've got a job for you to do. And I can say, if you want to know what the job is, just all you have to do is, is read the Word of God. Read the Word of God. Now, I won't take time tonight, and I've got time. Um, I want to go to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. And this is the story of Elijah. And Elijah's been on the run. Okay? He ran from Jezebel. He had this great victory. And then at the word of a particular evil queen, he runs. Okay, he runs as far as he can run, as a matter of fact. Okay? And so we find him hiding in a cave, literally at the end of the journey. As far as he can go, okay, he's there. And I want to show you the similarities between Elijah and between Peter. Okay? Peter's got this haunting failure. Lord, if everybody else fails you, I'm not going to fail you. Peter, you know, before the cock crows, you know, you're going to deny me three times. Yet. No, me. no, you got the wrong guy, Jesus, not me. You know, John probably, he, everybody knows he's a well. Okay, but not me. Okay, he's got that hanging over his head. All right, listen to this story. You know it again, I'm pretty sure. First uh, Kings 19, 11. So God said, go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. And at that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering the cliffs um, and uh, before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. Can I pause there just a moment? Can I just real quickly go back to the waiting room motif this morning? Can I just go back there? You know, often there's two ways it will happen. Um, if you go get some tires at Sam's, or you get your tires rotated at Sam's, you go out and shop in the store, and uh, Dwayne Taylor, will you please come to Tire and Auto? Your car is ready. Dwayne Taylor. And it's, you know, on a work day, and all the church members know, yeah, we know where the preacher is now, you know, on work day. Okay? All right, so you get that, okay? But sometimes, like you're at another dealership, you know, they'll come in and say, Mr. Taylor, real softly, Mr. Taylor. Here you are. And sometimes, sometimes, they almost like, you know, it'll be on the PA, but it'll be so soft, and you won't hear it. Here's what I want you to get. When you're in the waiting room, don't be whining and complaining because you might miss the voice of God. Don't be whining and complaining because you might miss the voice of God. Because here, it wasn't the wind and the earthquakes or the fire. It was a soft whisper. So, so don't expect the loud PA... This is God, and your time in the waiting room is now over. Okay? More than likely, it's going to be a soft voice. 
Somebody a soft voice. Well, what did this soft voice say to Elijah? Well, look at verse 13. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle. He went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? It's, it's kind of funny. Because really, you know, when Jesus said, Hey, have you caught any fish? Do you have any fish? You know, I'm like, well, you're not fishing. You know, just inquisitive. Just inquisitive. Well, what are you doing here? Elijah, you should have been somewhere else. This is not a waiting room. This is fear, David. You know, my fear didn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. What are you doing hiding in a cave from a wicked from a wicked queen? What are you doing here? Well, he says, well, here's the deal. You know the drill, Lord. I have been very zealous for the Lord, uh, the God of armies. Um, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant and tore down your altars and killed your prophets and with a sword. And I alone am left, and they're looking to take my life. Now, this is kind of strange because, you know, it wasn't too long ago this guy was going, um, I'd just soon die. And for a guy who wants to die, he's sure trying to protect his life. Okay? So, so you know what God said? He said, Marcy said the same thing he said to Peter. You know, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. You know what God said to Elijah? After all this spill about, you know, I've been zealous and I'm the only one left. And, uh, and you, know what, you know what God said to, to Elijah? Go. i got a job for you to do. And the job is not hiding in a cave from the queen. I want you to go. Isn't that so similar to Peter? And, and again, I want you to hear me. If God could speak to you tonight, he would have a job for you to do. The job is over when you quit breathing. Not until then. Amen? Not until then. Not until then. So, so you know, Peter, you know, do you love me? Yes, I do. Then great, I have a responsibility for you. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Okay, so the second time. So John 21, 16. Okay. Um, the second time he asked him, Simon, um, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me? Um, yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. And guess what he does again? Yeah. Now he says these words, shepherd my sheep. Shepherd my sheep. Now again, I want you to see this. Now remember, there's at least six guys listening here. Okay. So now they hear this number two time going, hey, you know, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you, Lord. You know I love you. Okay, great. I want you to feed my sheep. I've got a job for you to do, Peter. Okay? You're still my choice. You're still in the game, Peter. You're still in the game. Okay? Now, then we got the third time. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, or son of Jonah, do you love me? Okay? Now, I, I, I wasn't satisfied with what I wrote here, but I'll read what I wrote and then you can amplify it up because it needs to be amplified up, okay? When God says something, it is significant, okay? So everything he speaks into the word of God is significant, okay? When he says it uh, twice, it's important. You probably need to ramp that up a little bit beyond, I can think of a, well, I can think of a better word, important, but okay, it's ramped up there, okay? It, when he says it twice, it's important. And, and then when he says it three times, it shouts with importance. It shouts with importance. Okay? So, so, so we have three times Jesus asking Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter's going to respond, yes, Lord, I love you. Okay? And there's all kind of commentaries and thoughts and comments about the numerics of the Bible. But, you know, it was three days, you know, that Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted. 
But most significantly, I think, is the idea and concept that when, when Jesus was in the garden, how many times did he pray? Three times. Three times. Okay? So, so there's some significance there. It's just really important. It's just really important. All right? Now, I'm going I'm to jump ahead and give you this. You know, hey, Peter, don't be grieved. He's going to be grieved. Don't be grieved. Be encouraged. Because of what God has entrusted to you, there is no room for doubts and no room for second thoughts. Hey, Peter, don't be grieved. Be encouraged. Because of what God has entrusted you, He's placed in your hands, okay, this very significant ministry, and just no room for doubts and no room for second thoughts. He really wants, it's like this is the third time, uh, this morning, this is the third time that Jesus appeared to the boys. And every time he appeared, he was nailing down the fact, I am not a ghost, I'm really real, I'm really alive. Okay, he was nailing it down. And what Jesus is doing for Peter, he's really nailing it down, saying, Listen, I don't care what the neighbors say, don't care what your family says, you are my choice. You're my number one guy, you are still in the game. Okay, he really wants to nail that thought down. So you ask your question, did he get it? Did he get it? Ask the 3,000 that got saved on Pentecost. A weak-kneed, I-don't-believe-in-myself preacher don't see 3,000 people saved, Jackie. A man of God filled and anointed with the Holy Spirit sees 3,000 people saved. Yeah, he got it. Is that the end of self-doubt? No. No. But he got it. And God used him in a very, very powerful way. Isn't that cool? Of all the guys, I mean, you know, John was his number one choice. I mean, he says there, it's going to say in a minute, you know, you know, the, the disciple that leaned up against Jesus, you know, okay, John would have been a great choice for Pentecost, but Jesus didn't call John to preach. He called the guy, the guy that denied him three times. He called the guy that said, no, Jesus, you can't go die. He called on Peter because Peter was a key player. Oh, and why was that? Oh, it's that amazing thing called grace. The same reason you and I are where we are today, God's grace, is why Peter was where he was. God's amazing grace. Well, I told you Peter was grieved. Let me read that verse. Um, Peter was grieved, okay, that he asked him the third time. Now, it's possible there's an allusion here to the three failures, okay? But again, I think we hear... A voice speaking to Peter. Hey, Peter, don't remember the three failures. Remember the three measures of grace. You probably need to write that down if you're taking notes tonight. Okay? Remember the, remember the story when the dude was on his bed all shriveled up? Okay? And he Jesus said to him, you know, get up and walk. Okay? And the Bible said the guy stood up, rolled up his bed, and walked out the door. Do you ever wonder why he rolled up his bed? It's a testimony of grace. Hey, Joe, what are you carrying? Oh, this used to be the bed I used to lay on when I was lame and crippled till Jesus touched me. It's not a bad thing to carry your bed around. Because when people see the bed, they know something happened to you. And when people know something happened to you, they want to know what. And you get to tell them. 
So, so it's possible that he was grieved because he remembers the three failures. And, and, and the message is, don't remember the failures, remember... The, ooh, that's good. Don't remember the failures, remember the grace. Don't remember the failures, remember the grace. Okay? So, so he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then he says, great. Okay, so feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. You're still in the game. You're still my number one guy. Okay? You're still in the game. You failed, but guess what? You're still my number one guy. I want you to feed my sheep. Okay? Now, I've got a scripture, John 15. Don't, you don't need to turn here. Stay in John 21. But in John 15, 12, and 13, um, I call this the cost of love. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Okay? Greater love, this is where Robin's song fits so well, greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Okay? There's no greater love than a man lay down his life for his friends. And that's significant because of what Jesus is now going to say to Peter. Okay? So, three times. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know, love me. I got a job for you to do. Oh, and by the way, I have a future for you. Listen to this future. This is verse 18 19. Truly I tell you that when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. Freedom. Life is good. Okay? But when you grow old, and by the way, he's not talking about the nursing home here. When you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone... Um, you stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. And then he gives us the eye-opener. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. So, so Peter, you know, Peter was going to get a chance to show his love. Okay? Now, not earn his salvation, but show his love. Because eventually... And again, I'm glad Jesus made this so clear, what he was talking about. You're going to stretch out your hands. Someone else will tie you and carry you where you do not want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. Tradition has it that Peter was crucified like Christ. And tradition has it that he requested to be crucified upside down because he was not worthy to die like his Lord. Regardless of how he died, he martyred his life. Greater love hath no man than this, that man laid down his friends. And Peter, who said, I love you, I love you, I love you, would eventually lay down his life for Jesus as an example of that love. Of that love. Chances of us having to die upside down or otherwise on a Roman cross or kneel, okay, but we are called to die to self. We are called to die to self. And when he says, Great love had no man this lay down his life for his friends, when we are willing to die to self, we're making our lives available to God to see our friends saved and ministered to. Well, a little bit more, then we're done. I call this the enemy of love. And the enemy of love, St. Augustine said it was something else, it's fear. Um, but Dwayne says the enemy of love is distractions. Distractions. You know, you wonder. If you, if you really got the sermon this morning, you really got to, you understand about waiting rooms now. And you, again, might be in one, okay? 
And you may be questioning, why is your room, why didn't your room have cookies and a fancy coffee machine? Why does it have four plastic chairs and an old magazine? You know, why why does Jackie get to wait in, in the cookie room and I get the four plastic chairs room? Now, that doesn't seem fair to me. I mean, well, you both got to wait, okay? We both got to wait. It doesn't seem fair. But but honestly, and more practically, it's our way with lies. Why does is, why is the preacher have such a golden life? I don't ever see his kids sick. You know, why is it? You know? Don't get jealous of someone else's waiting room or life. Because God has one age picked out for you. He's the one who, de- who designs. God is the designer of your waiting room, and God is the orchestrator of your life. Okay? Okay? Or it is. Now, you say, well, how does that fit in, Dwayne, perfectly? Let's look at verse 20 and 21. So Peter turned around. And at this point, they seem to be walking. Okay? They must have got up sometime and started walking. So Peter turned around and saw this. Here's that disciple Jesus loved the gig. Okay? He saw a disciple Jesus loved following him. It's funny. Pete, John wouldn't even use his own name, but he describes himself like that. It's kind of funny. Okay? <laughs> Humility there. Okay? Jesus loved following him. The one who leaned against his back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is the one that's going to betray you? Okay? And so Peter said, okay, watch. Peter said, Lord, what about him? What about him? Okay, Lord, what about him? Now see, there again, love, the enemy of love is distractions. He's all enamored, you know. You know. This is so true, okay? We sit there, uh, you know, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Love me. Yes, I love you. Love me. Yes, I love me. You know, hey, Peter, you're going to die on a cross. Okay, God, if that's the way it's got to be, I'll die on the cross. But what about him? Does he get to die too? If I want him, verse 22, if I want to remain until I come, Jesus said, what is that to you? Hey, what is it to you what my waiting room looks like? What is it to you that my life looks like? And he said, you follow me. Isn't that good? You follow me. Don't, don't, John turned out to be the only dude, you know, he was exiled, but he wasn't martyred. He died of old age, the only one, okay? So, so John's the only one that got to live till natural death, all right? But what is that to you? You follow me. You follow me. This is a little bit corny, but it works. You know, don't let, are you ready? Don't let Lord, what about, be Lord. What do you think, Roz? Give me say it again. Okay, yeah. You know, he said, Lord, what about him? Don't let Lord, what about, be Lord. You let the Lord be Lord. Don't, don't let your life be impacted about, but what about Linda? And what about Wilma? And what about Donnie Billman? And what about David Higgs? What about, what about, what about? Don't let that be the Lord of your life. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. And such an impactful thing because you're going to do exactly what God wants you to do in the kingdom work, which is what we're supposed to be all about. But can I just be honest? Gee, you're going to like this. You'll just be happier. You'll just be happier. 
when you get out of your brain and quit being jealous and envious of what God has dealt other people's lives and realize that He loved you enough to predict or excuse me, to prescribe what, what your life was going to be like and your wedding room is going to be like, you'll be satisfied. Amen. And you'll be content. It'll be enough. It'll be enough. And then I'm going to go all the way back circle to my friend David here who led us in a song tonight that said, you know, my fear doesn't stand a chance. My jealousy doesn't stand a chance. My envy doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray.